podcast, cutting edge conversations with the Quant community. Hello and welcome to a new Quantcast, Risk.net's podcast on quant finance. I'm Mauro Cesar and today I'm talking to Richard Martin, who is an independent consultant visiting professor at Imperial College London, credit models expert and the most published author in the Catinet section of Risk. Hi Richard, how are you? Not too bad, thanks. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me back. It's been uh, three years or so. Uh, again, talking about credit, so quite looking forward to this discussion. Excellent. Looking forward to that too. Uh, and we just published your recent work. It's titled Credit Migration Generating Generators. It's online and it's in the uh, March issue of the print edition Risk. And uh, I believe it's the 22nd paper you have published with us. I might have lost yeah, I think it's 22, time. yeah. Very good, very good. Let's start by um, saying, uh, talking about some background and context. So, what would you, what do we mean by credit migration, and uh, what is the use of the information credit migration provides? Yeah, unlike uh, equity markets, uh, credit markets have this thing called uh, credit rating, which allows investors to get comfortable with the risk of the credit. So that's really one of the main differences between the two markets. And conventionally, these are supplied by a letter code, which goes from AAA, if it's on the S&P scale, uh, all the way down to default. Uh, So-called investment-grade credits are ones with a rating of B or better. Uh, the reason why we worry about credit migration is, uh, uh, for, for a start, for, from the point of view of risk management, uh, we worry about names being downgraded uh, because, say, an investment-grade uh, portfolio manager uh, suffers a, a downgrade in one of the, the names, then he may be forced to sell that bond, uh, and that creates forced sellers, uh, which uh, can then force the price down uh, a, a bit further. Um, so the risk management perspective is, is an important one. Also, if you want to opine on the expected return of a credit, what you want to say is, okay, so say this, this credit is rated triple B plus uh, at the moment, which means it's an investment grade credit. Uh, we have an idea about what the carry and roll down is, but we want to be a little bit more uh, technical than just saying, well, that 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 yield premium is is what we're going to receive. That that would be the case if we were holding the bonds to maturity, and then we'd only have to worry about default or, or no default. But over a shorter time horizon, we want to take into account that the credit quality might go up or down, uh, in which case we want to be able to say something sensible uh, about the likelihood that the credit quality, uh, as judged by its credit rating letter, uh, goes up or down and by how much. We can then relate that to the market and see what the uh, gain or loss would be from that move. Yeah, so in, in terms of the credit migration matrix, this is just an array of numbers that tells us what the probability of transition is um, from uh, one state to another over a given time period, which is usually a year, but you can have transition matrices for uh, longer than one year. So for example, uh, if it's a fairly uh, good high yield name, say double B rated, uh, the expected default frequency is about um, about 1% for a uh, for a one year time horizon. But the probability that it downgrades from double B to uh, single B, which means it's got quite a lot closer to default, uh, is quite appreciable. It's um, something in the region uh, of, uh, of 10% or so. So we have to worry about um, we have to worry about this kind of reduction in credit quality, uh, rather than just jumping to default. And certainly, if we're investment grade managers, 
we're much more interested in the probability that, say, a single A name goes to double B or single B rather than jumping to default, which is very, very rare indeed. In fact, almost no um, investment grade names just go straight to default in one go. Much more likely is that they suffer uh, a few jumps. Uh, so the credit rating might go down a couple of notches each time. The spread will push wider on or about the same time that that downgrade occurs. Uh, and then it gets to crunch time and the credit either sorts itself out and then maybe its rating slowly creeps up again in the next few years uh, or it goes to default. But the actual jump to jump to default straight from investment grade is, is much less, is very much less common and really not something that we worry about too much. I see. So what are the standard tools used to, to model this? It's very common to use what's known as a Markov chain. So a Markov chain is basically a a model that says that the probability of going up or down one step on the rating ladder is independent of how you've arrived there. So we only care about our current rating. It doesn't matter what the rating was two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago. It just matters what it is at the moment. Um, that is a bit of a, well, it's a simplifying assumption. It's a bit of a restrictive assumption because ratings momentum does exist uh, over quite short time scales. Uh, so if a rating, if a rating has been downgraded, uh, once or twice, the next move is more likely slightly to be another downgrade than an upgrade. I see. So, and what are the pros and the cons of a Markovian credit migration model? The pros are that it makes the model much simpler to specify. If, if you have to worry about not where you are at the moment, um, or the basic probability is not on where you are at the moment, but on how you arrived at where you are, there's a lot more modeling that needs to go into this, which means uh, a lot more parameter estimation. And one of the important things that I talk about in this paper uh, is how you estimate all the parameters in that matrix. Uh, the general tenor of the paper is that there appear to be far too many, and indeed that is correct. Uh, so there's a, it's certainly a simplifying assumption. Uh, the con, as, as I've said, is that it's a little bit unrealistic, though I don't think it's a showstopper. So the, the limitations are the reason why you have uh, worked on this paper, obviously. Uh, and here you are proposing an alternative matrix generator for this. Um, how does it work? Can you tell us how it works and uh, how it differs from uh, uh, the models you just described? Yeah, sure. If I take uh, the S&P seven state matrix, which has states AAA, AA, A, or going down to triple C, uh, and then default, so seven states plus default. To specify that model, I need seven square which is 49 parameters, which is getting quite a lot. Um, if I go to the 18 state matrix, which has the plus and minus uh, uh, markers added to it, so you have double A plus, double A minus, A plus, A minus, and so on, mm -hmm. and then you are gonna find uh, 324 parameters are gonna be necessary, which is starting to get really quite um, prohibitive. Now, if we just take a step back and assume that over a small time period, the rating can only go up or down one notch, and that in matrix algebra is said to be a tridiagonal matrix, so you only have to worry about an instantaneous move up or down, uh, then you obviously have fewer parameters, but also um, that matrix has certain mathematical properties um, which make it easier to handle. Um, one of which is known as the matrix exponential, which is an easy thing to write down, but a good deal more complicated uh, to calculate. So that would be a great simplifying assumption if we could make it fly. But the problem is that in practice, uh, multiple downgrades do occur with frequency 
sufficiently large that we do need to worry about them. So for example, from double A to double B in one go, although it's not very common, um, it's, it's certainly something that we do need to, to worry about and it's a good deal more common than double A to default uh, in one go, as, as, as I've said. So we need to find a way of um, making sure that we can have multiple downgrades uh, occur with a reasonable probability over a short period of time. And the way I handle that is with what uh, is known in technical languages as a stochastic time change. And what that means is that normally time just ticks on linearly, but occasionally it suddenly speeds up with a jump. Um, and that's as if we do, a, say, six months or a year of history just in the space of a week or something like that. So that means that we can then get multiple downgrades or occasionally multiple upgrades uh, to occur in a short space of time. Uh, these, these models are used in equity markets. They are uh, they're reasonably standard tools for thinking about uh, equity volatility, equity option pricing, and so on. So they've been around quite a long time. Uh, and they are quite a convenient tool to, to use for, for this. So that means we can take this uh, tridiagonal generator, which has many fewer parameters than will be needed to specify a full matrix, and then we can have this a sudden speeding up method uh, that can then uh, make a, a matrix that is um, more financially sensible and one that, that corresponds to what goes on in practice. Do you need to make your matrix time variant to capture the, uh, capture the economic cycle? Yes, you do. So what I've described is a way in which you can represent an average transition matrix with only a fairly small number of parameters. Um, but as you quite correctly point out, uh, that is only an average. And in good years, you're going to get quite a few upgrades, maybe only a small number of downgrades, possibly even none at all, um, though that wouldn't be very likely. But in a, in a bad year, like 2008, 2009, for example, you would expect to see a large number of downgrades. And of course, in 2020, we also saw a large number of downgrades in, uh, for example, energy and uh, consumer product sectors. Uh, so how do we then capture that? Well, it's possible to take the matrix and split it into two bits. You have uh, in matrix algebra, what you have is an, uh, an upper the upper triangular part. So the top right of the matrix pertains to downgrades and the bottom left to upgrades. And you can split it into those bits. And then you can introduce weights on those. So you have a weight for downgrades and a weight for upgrades. And those things you can plot time series for uh, if you know about uh, historical upgrade and downgrade information, uh, which we do in embryonic form. Uh, and then you, you can spot the economic cycle. You, you can see the impact of the economic cycle, uh, or at least uh, of what has gone on. Okay, so given data on upgrades and downgrades uh, over time, uh, you can weight these upgrade and downgrade parts of the matrix and then calibrate to the, the data that you see uh, on, on those frequencies. And then you can see uh, not necessarily the economic cycle as such, because you don't really get a periodicity of, of any determined length, but, but you do see in 2009 uh, that the, the, the weight on the factor for downgrades is obviously quite high, uh, and then in subsequent years the weight, the weight on the upgrade factor was higher because you had more upgrades and downgrades in those years. The important thing is that you do need two factors. You can't just, for example, uh, scale the whole matrix up and down so that in, uh, in certain years you get lots of rating activity with um, ratings going up and ratings going down a lot, and in 
others you get very little activity and ratings tend to stay the same that's not really, that's not really the way it works um, bad years not surprisingly are uh, are ones in which uh, a large number of downgrades occur I see so what did you observe by experimenting with this approach and uh, what are the implications you see in its uh, use in practice I mean that if you want to forecast uh, transitions uh, going into the future uh, you do need a uh, bivariate process you, you need two separate processes going on one for upgrades and one for downgrades you can't just make it uh, work with uh, with one um, the mathematics of this of this uh, is actually quite complicated uh, and still unresolved it's, it's quite a difficult area to, to, to provide closed form solutions in um, but what you can at least in principle do is link these uh, to whatever your uh, you can link these two factors to whatever your chosen macroeconomic variables are uh, and then you have a good way of predicting at least in principle uh, how uh, rating transitions are going to evolve into the future I see and um, in the paper you discussed the risk-neutral calibration of the generator matrix um, what, what do you conclude from it and uh, what information does that provide yeah so a totally different way of looking at things would be to say rather than looking at historical defaults downgrades and upgrades why don't we just try and get a market implied one so we know how bonds of each rating trade in the market today uh, through the credit spread for uh, for, for different, um, different tenors so using that term structure is it not possible to calibrate the, the matrix directly in the same way that in equity derivatives for example uh, rather than opining about historical movements in stock prices uh, we can uh, we can use option prices to determine the shape of the volatility surface which gives market expectation of price moves uh, of different sizes over different time horizons there's sort of an analog in some ways uh, between the two concepts the early literature on this by which I mean a couple of papers written 20 years ago is a little bit poor in this area and it, there's a sort of casual uh, assumption that you can do that calibration and it's easy and, and it works in practice what you find is that the calibration is really quite unstable and many different generator matrices will fit the term structure pretty much equally well so that means that the problem is quite degenerate there are many different matrices that will do the job so you can't find a unique matrix but what we can do is to use some mathematics to uh, try and measure how many different matrices in a sense will do the job equally well so how how degenerate is the calibration problem uh, or how many different ways can I deform uh, a matrix by a small amount and still end up with the same term structure and informally the answer to that question is a lot so you need to do two things uh, the first is to reduce the number of parameters in the matrix as I'm suggesting in the first part of the paper but the other thing is that uh, you need to have some information in terms of uh, your, your market data not just about bond prices but about the volatilities so you need to know something about spread volatility and without that uh, you're not going to be able to calibrate uh, even the simplified model so if you want to calibrate a transition matrix to uh, to, to market data and you want a unique calibration and be confident that that, that uh, you're going to that, that you'll have a unique matrix that does it you do need to know uh, you, you do need to know about um, spread volatility and unfortunately that really only comes from uh, historical data because there isn't a market in single name credit options there is in credit index options but not in, in single names
I see. And um, um, from what you said, um, this exercise and the time varying matrix heavily depend on the economic cycle. Now, 2020 has been extremely negative for many sectors of the economy, but at the same time, it's been positive for a few. Overall, what do you expect the coefficient in the uh, the coefficients in the transition matrix um, to have done in the past 12 months? How did they move? And uh, what do you expect from the next 12 months? It's always difficult to predict the future. Uh, to take your first question uh, first, we are not going to see anything like 2008, 2009 in, in terms of last year's figures, simply because there weren't, although there were some downgrades, there weren't anywhere near as many as there were, for example, in US high yield in, uh, in 2009, uh, when you were getting high yield names defaulting every week uh, in whichever the on-the-run index was at the time. Um, we are going to see a few upgrades in, in some sectors. I think energy and consumer products are likely to see a few upgrades uh, in the next year. Uh, but it's certainly in emerging markets, it's likely that we get a few downgrades. Uh, and in Latin America, uh, Colombia has, is rated triple B minus with negative outlook by all three rating agencies, which means it's on the verge of being pushed into high yield territory. Uh, if that happens, then that's likely to put pressure on bank ratings because those are likely to get pushed down. They're unlikely to rate higher than the sovereign. So we're going to get some of the banks potentially pushed into high yield territory as well. Uh, though, on the other hand, with improving oil prices, Colombia being, uh, being an oil exporter, uh, that is potentially good for some of the quasi-sovereigns like Ecopet uh, for, the for, for the foreseeable future. Um, but that's an area in which we, we expect some, some negativity in, in credit space. Uh, also in frontier countries, uh, if the market does go risk off, uh, those are likely to suffer first. So we, we expect to, we, we, we uh, I think, expect to see some some negativity in, in that part of the market. I see. Richard, thanks very much for, for your answers to this. It was very interesting and uh, uh, good to have you here uh, again and uh, looking forward for, uh, to the next one. Thank you very much.